Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. Advent season. And in these first two chapters, to me, it, it feels almost like a script or a screenplay for a miniseries. In the background, you have Caesar Augustus, and he's telling everybody, go back where you came from and be counted. And can you imagine, just imagine if everybody here were, were told, go back to where you came from to be counted. What chaos. I mean, there'd be people going every which way. You couldn't get a hotel room. Flights would be booked. It would just be pretty, pretty difficult. So behind the scenes, that's going on. But in this screenplay, we dive in and we meet some people, people we haven't known before. And here they are. Um, there's Zachariah and Elizabeth. This is an older couple. He's a priest, minor priest, I think. And they're grappling with the issues of infertility. They don't have a child. They'd like to have one. And then we meet Mary, and we meet Joseph. And as we go through and we begin to get their stories, their narratives are part of a bigger narrative about what God is doing with the unexpected and the unexplainable. One of the themes that runs all the way through this is the theme of sacrifice. If you think to the story, you realize that um, Zechariah, he had to make a sacrifice. He couldn't communicate for quite a while. He was shut down. Be careful what you ask for, Elizabeth, because suddenly at an advanced age, you're going to become pregnant. How's that going to work for you, dear? Right? Then there's Mary. And here's, here's Mary, and an angel comes, and advises her she's going to become pregnant. Bump, baby bump. And this is bad, because Mary is going to have to sacrifice her reputation. What will people think? And then there's Joseph. And an angel comes to Joseph in a dream and says, guess what? Well, I know you guys love each other and all that, but your, your wife is pregnant. And you know you're not the daddy, right? Wow. And, but then the angel tells Joseph, but hey, it's okay. You marry that girl, and you go on. And Joseph had to give up his pride. He was probably the laughing stock of Bethlehem, you know? There's sacrifice throughout. And let's not forget the shepherds, okay? If you turn in your Bible into Luke chapter 2, and starting in verse 8, we read this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill, peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
When the angel went away from then into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And he went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The word of the Lord. All these different characters in this drama had to make sacrifice, and so did the shepherds. History tells us that being a shepherd, particularly a night shepherd at that time, was an extremely low-status job. This was like the worst of the worst. Remember when Samuel came to Jesse's house to anoint a new king of Israel? And he went through all of Jesse's kids, almost all his kids, and none of them were God's elect. And Samuel said to Jesse, you got any more kids? Oh, oh yeah, there is one more. David, he's out there somewhere. This is the tail end. And you know, the irony of this whole thing is, have any of you ever been around sheep? Have some of you been around sheep? I'm telling you, there's nothing like a sheep. A sheep, well, nighttime is when sheep get lost. And nighttime is when sheep get stolen. And nighttime is when sheep get eaten. And a sheep is a defenseless critter. A coyote will come into a band of sheep and kill 30 or 40 in a night just for fun. He's not going to eat them all, just bland. But they don't have enough sense to run away to defend themselves or anything else. So here in the middle of the night, we have all these angels out with dad sheep, and I mean all these shepherds, and the angel shows up, and you know the angel doesn't strictly say you need to go see that baby. He didn't exactly say that. The, the, the angel said, um, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then one of these shepherds said, Let's go see this baby. And I can imagine the dialogue, you know. Adonijah says, let's go see the baby. And then George says, no, wait a minute, who's going to take care of the sheep? And then Obadiah says, I lose another sheep, my dad's going to shoot me. And this was a risk for them, and what did they do? In the face of all of this, they took the risk, they walked through a crossroads, And they went to Bethlehem, and they left the sheep. And apparently it worked out. I mean, we don't hear any more about the sheep or, you know, dead shepherds or anything like that. So it must have gone okay for them. They were at a crossroads. And that's a great example for us. When we're at a crossroads, and Jesus is pointing one way, and our heart is pointing the other way, what do we do? How do we deal with that conflict when we come to that crossroad? Well, it would be helpful if there were an angel, wouldn't it? I mean, if there were just an angel to say, I said go, that would be be lovely, but it doesn't work out that way much of the time. Not only that, but a lot of times when we arrive at the crossroads, it's not like we can think about it for a long time, you know? We have to make a decision. It's like 
The story about the guy uh, who was fishing with dynamite, did I tell you that story? The guy's fishing with dynamite, the game warden finds out about it, he realizes he can't do that, so he invites himself to go fishing with the guy to get in the boat, a case of dynamite there, and uh, roll out in the middle of this pond, and the guy pulls out a stick of dynamite, lights it, flips it into the water, whoop, and up comes a bunch of dead fish. And the game warden, I mean, he's in the boat with him, and the game warden says, wait a minute, you can't do that. And the guy pulls another stick out, lights it, hands the game warden, says, you want to talk or you want to fish? So sometimes decisions just come, they come upon us. This happened to me. I'm telling you, this happened to me. So, not fishing. So, I just use a pole. No. So, Betty and I have been coming to Vine Life since 1992. And in 1999, Walt became the senior pastor. And in 2000, he invited me to join the board of directors. I wasn't too sure about that. I've been on a number of boards, but never a, a church board. But I, I went on the board, and I was on the board. Uh, and I came to this crossroads in the spring of 2005. And what was going on at the time is that our executive pastor, Bob Baker, had had a multiple bypass surgery. And he was really struggling with recovery. And so Walt, the senior pastor, at the same time was being the executive pastor, and he was trying to do two jobs, and it was eating his lunch. It was evident that, you know, this was really a problem, and he'd talk to us at the board meetings and tell us about this. And we had a lot of good suggestions, you know, gee, Walt, maybe you could try this, or maybe you could do that. Uh, But none of us really was willing to lean into the situation. And after a while, it began to wear on me. And I'm just, I am not really good at avoidance and that kind of thing. And I just, oh man, what are we going to do about this? See, at this time, I owned a real estate development company. Um, This is 2005, not 2008. Things are raging. We have projects going in a number of states. Our kids have all grown up and left. We're empty nesters. Yes, it's all there. And then this comes up. What are you going to do about this? And it was like the Holy Spirit was sort of boxing me in. And it just was becoming unbearable. And so one night, um, it was a particularly difficult meeting. I didn't have an angel. No angel showed up, at least that I could see. And it was just an agony. So after the meeting, I went to Walt and I said, could we have lunch tomorrow? And he said, sure. So I I met him for lunch the next day. So what was I feeling? What, What was happening to me as I was walking through this? I think I encountered, in retrospect, I think I encountered three things. The first thing that I encountered was fear. I was fearful. Um, What was I fearful about? Well, I was really busy. I was fearful about stepping away from my company at a time when, after 15 years, our ship was about to come in. The good times were coming. So I was fearful that if I did something, would I hurt my company? Would I hurt my family? I was fearful about that. The world of church is a completely different ecosystem. Um, Boy, is it. Let me tell you. I think about Betty. She comes to work each week, every Monday, and 
here are all these people, they're angry, they're broken, they're hurting, they're dysfunctional. And that's just the staff, okay? That isn't the, that's, not, that's not the outside world, that's us. And she's got to deal with it. You know, I, <laughs> I have great empathy for artists. We have some wonderful artists in this church, in this room today. And the thing about being an artist is, I feel, and I'm not artistic, but you put everything out on the table. I mean, when you paint a painting, that's your heart. It's all there. And if it's, if it's rejected, you can't snatch the paint back off the canvas. You know, you have to live through it and go on. And it's the same thing with leading. I've been a leader all my life. That's just how I showed up. And leaders are the same way. Leaders want to make every right decision. They want every decision to be fair and just and be a win-win for everybody and everybody's happy. And, and that's not very realistic, is it? Things don't tend to work out that way all the time. So as a leader, if I came into this environment, what if I screwed it up? What if the ecosystem I was used to living in was totally different than the church? And I'm, I'm looking at Pastor Dee Dee, and i got to laugh because she knows what I'm going to say. Some years later, after I first showed up, she said, you know, for a while I thought you were the Antichrist. I really did. <laughs> it was rough. It was rough. I acknowledge that. It was rough. So... I was afraid. But you know something, guys? Fear is a feeling. It's not a fact. We don't pick how we feel. We pick how we deal with how we feel. Isn't that right? So it's not real in that sense. It's just a feeling. That's probably why the angels, you know, how many times the angels show up, and what do they say? Fear not. Fear not. You know? Gideon. Fear not. Mary, fear not. Joseph, fear not. Zebediah, fear not. Because we're maybe naturally afraid. But what God's calling us to is to look past our fear and move ahead anyway. Isn't that a great word, anyway? That's right. Don't look down. Go on. But I was fearful. A second thing that happened for me is um, I was confused, okay? And confusion can lead us into quite a little head game. It really can. When the unexpected and the unexplainable show up, typically they're carrying a little suitcase called confusion. And so you go through this sort of mental process. I bet you everybody's done this. You go through this little mental process, uh, and you say, well, wait a minute, is this the Lord? Or maybe it's some kind of weird ambition on my part that I want to help Walt out. Or maybe it's the enemy trying to wreck my company. Hmm. What could this be? And so you can go off into that head game. And that's very real. I mean, if you think about it, Abraham, or Abram at the time, Abram and Sarai, they're dealing with the same problem that Zechariah and Elizabeth have. And the Lord tells them, you're going to have a child. And what do they say? How can this be? The angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a child. What does she say? How can this be? Same angel, poor Gideon, 
goes to Zechariah. He says, you're going to have a baby. How can this be? We're sold. Even in the presence of an angel, we can be confused. Because what we're contrasting is what God says to what we think. And we use human logic in this crazy thing called common sense. Where the kingdom of God is counterintuitive. A man must lose his life to gain it. What? Hello? You know, it's that kind of thing. So I was dealing with confusion. And the third thing I was dealing with is trust. You know, it's hard to trust for an outcome when we can't see it. I remember once going to this person's door and knocked on the door. It was a screen door. The person came to the door, and along with him came this dog. And this dog is just going crazy. He's clawing at the screen and everything. And I'm looking at this dog, you know. And The guy says, come in, he won't bite you. And I think, no, he won't bite you. He's going to bite me. There's no question he's going to bite me, for sure. It's hard to trust when you can't see the outcome. But I'll tell you something about this trust thing. Um, proof and fear, or, I mean, excuse me, Proof and faith are mortal enemies. Because if something's proven to you, then you don't need the faith. And if you believe in something, you don't need the proof. So like, remember this fellow Gideon we were talking about a minute ago, he put out the sheepskin and he said, okay, Lord, well, could we do it the other way around and, and all of that? Uh, because he was looking for proof instead of faith. And I couldn't see any proof. Well, how did it work out? Well, I had lunch with Walt, and I said, Look, Walt, I know this has been a terrible time for you, and um, here's what I'll, I'd like to try to do. I will volunteer three days a week for three months. And let's see how it goes, because I'm not sure I can do the job. I've never done anything like this, be a executive pastor, business administrator kind of person. Maybe I wouldn't be accepted. I mean, Dee Dee certainly held her tongue for a long time. <laughs> In spite of great provocation, I might add. Um, maybe I'd mess it up. Maybe I wouldn't like it. Or maybe after three months, whatever needed to be done would be done. And I had all these kinds of notions. But it was risky. But I knew certain things. I was sure of these things going in. The first thing was I wanted to help out in the business administration and the management end. That's much of what the executive pastor does. But the problem I immediately ran into is the person who I was stepping in for, Bob Baker, was a pastor. And he had the same name I had. So people started calling me Pastor Bob. And I'm resisting this. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not a pastor. And after a couple of months, I gave that up because I think what was happening is they were seeing something I wasn't. That's probably part of it. But I knew I wouldn't be in ministry. Um, can I tell you, I have no idea how many people we've married over the years. I mean, I never thought any of this stuff whatsoever. Not at all. I certainly wasn't qualified to minister in these more messy situations you get into. For many a time, I walked from my office at one end of the hall down to the other end of the hall to see Walt and to say, you didn't tell me about this. You never said it was going to be this way. 
You should have warned me. But we do end up in messes, and we do minister through. Um, I was very sure I would never bring a message on a Sunday morning. What can I say? Yeah. (laughs) I was sure that I would never be ordained as a minister of Jesus Christ. But that happened. And I was sure I'd never be an elder. And that happened. I had no imagination for any of these things. I had to walk past my fear. I had to trust in the Lord. That's what I had to do. And I can't help but wonder how it would have worked out if I hadn't done that. Who knows? Well, why is this important? Why am I telling you about this? Why am I telling these terrible stories about myself? Well, because we all face these crossroads every day. And let me give you a really simple example. How many of you have ever encountered a person begging for money? Have you ever encountered a person begging for money? I think most of us have. Sometimes they're on a traffic median flying a sign. Sometimes they approach you as a pedestrian. Um, got any spare change? Whatever it may be. Um, now, have any of you rejected that person and not given them any money? Will you lie about other things too? Okay. So we do that sometimes. I've done that. My hand is up for sure. And I wonder why do we do that? Why do we do that? And I think it's because we misunderstand the fundamental situation we found ourselves in. We tell ourselves, well, I'm too busy right now. I gotta move. I don't have time to have some chit-chat with this person, you know? Or maybe we say, I'm not going to give them money. Why? Because they're going to spend it on alcohol or drugs. or I'm just going to make a bad situation worse. Some of us get offended sometimes when we say, this person must think I'm absolutely stupid. They look like they need... See, begging's not in our culture. You know, there are many places in the world where begging is an honorable profession because it gives people an opportunity to be generous. Well, it's not in our culture so much. I think it's becoming more, but not as much. And sometimes we just don't want to get involved. You know, we don't need another friend. We don't need another project. We just don't want to get involved. But if you think about it, while we have these kinds of excuses, we really face those three same deeper issues. Fear, lack of trust, and confusion. We're afraid of getting into a situation we can't control. We're afraid and worried about making something worse. What's the right response? How do we show up for this person? And we're not able to be open to the trust of the leading of Jesus in these real situations. And I'm not saying we should always give money to someone who's begging. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, in that simple little example, I think everyone here has probably encountered, we're missing the divine transaction. We're not seeing the divine transaction because it's not about the money. It, I was really pierced one time. I was talking with Benny. Everybody knows Benny and Nikki now, right? The Sevens Ministry, beautiful street ministry. And Benny told me, he said, the most difficult thing, the most hurtful thing, the most painful thing, 
for a person that's flying that sign or walking up to somebody cold and saying, do you have any spare change, is not being seen. It's when you avoid eye contact from your car. It's when you walk right by. And we miss the exchange. You know, it's like what uh, Peter and John faced in Acts. We've been in Acts. We're coming back to Acts in a little bit. But it's when Peter and John faced the same way. They had these beggars. And they encountered this beggar. And what did Peter say? He said, I don't have any money. I think he literally said, silver and gold have I none. He said, I don't have any money, but I have this. I have the love of Jesus. Get up and walk. So what's the divine transaction in that moment? It's the love of Jesus. It's not about the money. It's not about the hamburger or the drugs or any of those things. But we miss that, and we don't see it. And that's the bad news. But there's good news, too, and we can name it. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27, Jesus is speaking, and it says, He said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, the New Living Translation, paraphrased, kind of amplifies this. And I think it gives us a better sense of what Jesus was trying to say. It says this, Then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run away from suffering. Embrace it. That's not just your suffering. It's their suffering, too. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself your true self. Wouldn't you like to find your true self? Isn't that a powerful invitation, a call up into a new way of seeing things, a new way of thinking of things? You know, the Advent story can look like a folktale about a baby born in a manger in a little nowhere town, in a little nowhere country in the Middle East. It can look like that if that's what we're seeing. But when we know what we see is the Word becoming flesh, it's dwelling among us, it's transforming us. That's what's really happening. I guess my point is this. As we come to these crossroads and we face these places, we need to ask a question. This is a really important question. If we believe that Jesus is always with us, he said he'd be right. Can we, can we agree we agree? He's always with us, and he's always active in our lives. So when we come to these crossroad places, we need to ask ourselves the question, Jesus what are you doing here, and how should I respond? How do I show up? Because we need to accept this invitation. We need to embrace the suffering. We need to be willing to put ourselves in a place of sacrifice, even if just like the shepherds, it's just a matter of risk. Whatever it is, we need to ask that question, and we need to listen for the answer. 
when we figure out that sacrifice is normal, sacrifice isn't us being punished for being bad people or anything like that. Sacrifice is normal. He said it, embrace the suffering. Embrace the suffering, yours, theirs, everybody's. When we figure that out, then our heart is postured in place to be a foundation to be able to do three things. The first thing is to listen for the Lord. Jesus isn't a spectator looking into our story wondering what we're going to do. Jesus is calling us into his story and showing us how we fit in. So we need to ask, Jesus, what, what, are, you, what are you doing here? How, how should I see this? How should I show up in this particular situation, at this crossroads that I find myself? Secondly, we need to trust. We got to trust. We got to let them open the screen door. Here comes a dog. We have to trust. Because we know, we know here, we know here, that we have a Lord and a King and a Savior who loves us absolutely. Absolutely. And whatever choice he's leading us to, in all the choices of our life, those are the very best choices we can make. So we have to trust. And the third thing is we have to look past our fears and we have to go forward anyway. The angels know we're afraid. That's why when they show up, they say, fear not. Do not be afraid. But as I said before, fear isn't a fact. It's a feeling. And we can look beyond it, and we can pull out that wonderful word, anyway. Go ahead anyway. Don't look down anyway. Be bold anyway. We can do that. So, this is a lot of stuff that I've said to you this morning, and I think we could start today with this idea. So, we're going to take a few minutes, and how about we just sit here and kind of look inward into ourselves, and let's ask some questions. The first question is the one I mentioned earlier, and that is, Jesus, what are you doing in my life right now, this Sunday morning at 11.20 a.m. in the auditorium at Vine Life Church? What are you doing in my life right now? Jesus, where am I afraid? And how can I look past that anyway? Jesus, where do I feel confused? There's some confusion. Can you bring some clarity to me, Lord? Jesus, where am I not trusting you? Where am I trying to lean to my own understanding? The dog's going to bite me. So let's just take a moment, okay? And let's just ask that question and just think about it a little bit.
Thank you. Thank you for the seeds that you're planting in our heart this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your Spirit's making it possible for us to encounter the pearl of great price right now. That the treasure in the field of our person is being revealed to us through the advent of a baby. Thank you, Lord, that you confound the wisdom of the world for the weak become strong. Thank you, Lord, that you take down every mountain of our fear and produce a valley of faith. Thank you, Lord, that we can see when a beggar comes to us. Thank you, we can see the divine transaction. When a coworker or a friend tells us about challenges in their marriage or in their finances or with their children, that we can see the divine transaction, Lord, that we can ask that question. When we're convicted within ourselves and your spirit speaks to us, thank you that we can turn to you and say, Lord, how should I show up here? What are you doing? When a a dream vividly impresses us, Lord. Thank you that we can turn to you and say, Lord, what are you doing here? What are you saying to me? When we feel a spontaneous prompting to take the risk and go speak to a stranger and give them an encouraging word or pray with them or just show our care for them, thank you, Lord. Thank you that we can turn to you. Thank you that you're mightier than fear. You're more powerful than confusion. And you are absolutely, totally deserving of our trust. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand. Ministry team, could you come, please? I think we'll have some words.